freedom. Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom. I wanted to begin a sermon on order today with a reminder of freedom. The uh, Westminster Confession of Faith has a chapter called Of Christian Liberty and Liberty of Conscience. The liberty which Christ hath purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, and in their being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan, and the dominion of sin, from the evil of afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting condemnation. We have been freed from those. As also, in their free access to God, in their yielding obedience unto him, not out of slavish fear, but a childlike love and a willing mind. We are freed from death, from sin, from destruction, unto obedience to God. Unto not a slavish fear of God, but a joyful reverence of God that comes not reluctantly, but instead with a willing mind. I was reading a book recently and I came across a phrase that was used in the book and the phrase was ordered liberty. That is a phrase that has been used, uh, it's, it's a tough one to define, but it has been used over the years to, uh, to consider and to understand uh, judicial procedures and political theory. And I think it tries to explore and to recognize the tensions between two things that might and, and really are antithetical to one another if we think about them in absolute terms. If you think about, on the one hand, absolute order, uh, and then you think, on the other, about absolute freedom or absolute liberty, neither of those are particularly compelling to us. I think on the side of absolute order, we would recognize that there's tyranny that belongs to absolute order. No one wants to live under that kind of absolute order. And by the way, I'm not gonna talk about all of the negative sides of order. All of us here know that order can be misused and has been misused throughout the millennia. So I'm not gonna address that today, but I'm gonna recognize that indeed, absolute order can be tyrannical. On the other side, absolute liberty is anarchy. And so today, as I address the idea of order in the home, please don't hear me advocating uh, any kind of uh, totalitarianism, any kind of dictatorial approach, a rigid approach to life in the home, a homogenized look at authority in the home. I don't think that order in the home is monochromatic. It comes in different shades, and we can appreciate that even while we appreciate that there are certain fundamental things that are characteristic. Instead, the way I want us to think about order today, instead of being an end in and of itself, is that, in fact, order serves liberty. It serves freedom. Order serves beauty. Order serves 
fruitfulness and order serves learning. You can't have those ends without a result, without a process that is somewhat orderly. And in this case, I'm talking about order in the home. Most significantly, order serves love. It serves love to God and it serves love to one another as well. So with that little preface then, I wanna approach our topic of orderliness in the home today. And one final time for emphasis, I'm basically gonna use this same structure that I've used now a couple of times because I think it'll help us to get it in our minds and understand it once again. The assumptions of order, the spheres for order, the labor of order, and then increasing order in the home. That's why we'll work through it. So first and succinctly, I wanna talk about the assumptions of order. I put a verse on the front of your bulletin, a classic verse from 1 Corinthians 14:40. all things should be done decently and in order. Prior to that, in uh, verse 33 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says, God is not a God of confusion. He is instead a God of peace. And he makes that statement in, this, in the context of Corinthians to explain why things in the church ought not be chaotic, whether you're talking about a worship service or whether you're talking about the structure of the church, they ought not be chaotic, but instead, the verse I just quoted for us, they ought to be done decently and in order. And so Paul's argument is that the nature and the character of God, the nature and the character of God who is not confused, not a God of confusion, instead the opposite of that, a God who is a God of order, a God who is himself orderly, the nature and the character of God should shape and direct the life of the church towards orderliness. Now this quality of God is seen likewise in creation where if you think about the, the movement that we see in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, there is a clear movement from chaos to an orderly world. And the order of this creation makes, in fact, life possible. Were not the creation so ordered by God, then it wouldn't be possible for us to enjoy life, to experience love and all of the blessings. And so a couple of weeks ago, we sung the hymn that talks about the ordered vastness in the heavens, the ordered course of day and night. God is not disorganized. Let's flip that around. God, God, is, or God is not a God of confusion. God himself is orderly. God himself is organized in his very being. That's assumption number one. Second assumption is that humanity, as created in the image of God, is both a part of the order that God has created. So Genesis 1 and 2, Psalm 8, that we read as our call to worship, affirm the fact that we are part of that order, but they also affirm something more. Not only are we a part of the order of God, but we are partners with God 
in bringing order into the world and the ordering of the world. The world, the earth, both in its unfallen condition and in its fallen state requires tending and work and cultivating and keeping, which is to say that the world tends towards disorganization. That is the course of things if you let them go. And humanity is brought in the world as part of God's way of subduing, of exercising dominion. And I know those words, they sound negative in our ears, in our modern uh, culture ears. But if we could somehow put aside our modernity and hear those words and think of someone caring for or tending the creation that God has made, we would understand the positive nature of those terms. To care for, to bring organization out of a world that is disordered. Uh, I have a little motto in my own uh, gardening. It's not much of a motto, uh, but I say it to myself often and periodically I'll say it to Lauren. Plants are allowed to grow and plants are allowed to grow big and many of them want to grow really big. They're allowed to grow, they are allowed to get big, they are not allowed to take over. Because that's what a lot of them left on their own want to do. They want to take over the rest of the garden and when they try to do that, that is disorderly. And it is my job as the gardener to recognize when a plant, a tree, a bush, whatever it is, has gotten out of control, when it's gotten disorderly. If I do nothing to it, it will be disorderly. That is the nature of things. It takes the gardener to shape that and create what you want and what you want to see and what you want to have in your garden. Whatever else we might say about this Proverbs 31 woman, Whatever else you want to say about her, I'll tell you one thing. Her home was organized. It was orderly. Her life was orderly. Her home was orderly. You don't produce the kind of things that she did without that taking place. So, assumption one, God is a God of order. Assumption two, humanity is part of the order, but also partner with God in establishing and maintaining order. The third assumption is this, is that orderliness is not always intuitive. And therefore, God provides instruction in order. God provides that in Proverbs, and in Proverbs, he applies this instruction in how things ought to be ordered to all sorts of... Am I, am I the only one who's hearing a tinny sound come into this? Is it, is it actually happening? Is there anything we can do with it or not? Can I switch to the other mic? I do. <laughs> How's that? Is that better? Good. All right, we'll leave it at that. All right, where are we here? We're talking about the third assumption, and we're talking about uh, the fact of the matter is it's not always intuitive to us what is orderly, and therefore God provides us with instructions. And I kind of started our prayer with this this morning, or not this morning, but just now before the sermon, 
as I was praying that a lot of times we don't like to hear instruction in areas. Now we might say, I like to hear instruction, give me good advice about my parenting or good advice about my marriage. Listen, the reality is a lot of us don't want to hear any instruction about that. We don't want to hear any correction from outside. We don't want any tips that we don't discover on our own because somehow we have this idea that we understand inside of ourselves intuitively how to do all these things, how a home ought to be organized and how a family ought to be organized. But the assumption is, in fact, counter to that, we don't. And so, if you want to use the sentence that I used from the last couple of weeks, Proverbs are proffered to promote order. Proverbs are given to us so that we can understand how to have a household that seeks after the Lord. And so when we have these families, we have freedom in Christ, and we have families that then exist as households under the Lord, Paul doesn't say, well, listen, you now have freedom in Christ as a family. Go ahead and wing it. Go ahead and do whatever you'd like to do as a family. Instead, he provides for us the household codes that are found in the book of Colossians, in the book of Ephesians, and in the Thessalonians passage that we just read a few minutes ago. Now, those, those household codes that are given to Christians that are adapted from other practices and other codes, they don't tell you how many pictures you should have on the wall of your home. They don't tell you how high to hang the pictures on your home. They do provide freedom while at the same time providing for us instruction in basic things about how to set up our families. If you want to put this in Proverbs language, it takes wisdom. It takes wisdom from God that is received by instruction to build an orderly home. So those are our three assumptions. They can be summarized like this. I, it's from a, this is a line from a book that I'm also reading recently, a different one. I thought it said it well. If a defining characteristic of the modern world is disorder, then the most fundamental act of resistance is to establish order. Establishing order is an act of resistance, if you want to think of it that way. If it helps you to think of establishing order that way, then let's go with that. So moving on from the assumptions, what are the spheres for order in your home? When you think about this idea, when you heard the title of the sermon, Order in the Home, what came to mind for you? What did you think about? I, I, we can say positively, what are the areas that you think about that are orderly in your home? Or we can turn that question around. We can ask the question, what are the areas in your home life that you think about and you go, wow, okay, that's a little bit of a crack in the foundation and disorderliness is trying to seep into my home in this area or that area. Literally, the idea of order in the home, of orderliness in the home, can be applied to every area of your home. I want to categorize it today at the risk of oversimplification with four particular spheres for you to think about orderliness in the home. The first is this. The first is priorities. Now, we have talked about the idea in Proverbs that for the book of Proverbs, the home and home life is a priority. But, as we, as we noted last week, the home is a priority under and unto the Lord. 
Proverbs is wisdom for living out the declaration of Joshua when, it, when, when Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Think back a few months ago now when we got to that point in the book of Joshua. Proverbs is, okay, how are you going to do that? How are you going to serve the Lord in your home? If you've made this great declaration, what should your home look like? Priorities. Putting things above others, putting seeking the Lord first in your family. And so a simple way to think about priorities as a sphere of order is to ask this question. Is in your home busyness or busyness and laziness, hobbies, are those regularly trumping other activities? Do those regularly keep you from worship? Do they regularly keep you from prayer, from fellowship opportunities with God's people? If that is the case in your home, then you need to check your priorities. You need to say, okay, wait a minute, maybe the priorities of our house, maybe the priorities of our home have become disordered and we need to bring those into order. A second arena or sphere for order in the home. To be ordered, your home needs structure. So if the first area is in priorities, this second sphere is in structure. Anarchy resists structure. It resists order. It resists rule and any kind of hierarchy that exists, but the Bible doesn't. Proverbs doesn't. Proverbs is more than willing and more than ready to talk about the unique responsibilities for order and structure that exist within the family. Now, ladies, I didn't do this on purpose but I read these passages for us, and I trust that you probably heard how significant, for example, a woman is in establishing order in the home. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't write the Proverbs. The Lord wrote the Proverbs. The Lord authors this and gives it unto us to say, this is a responsibility, I agree, it belongs to husbands as well but particularly for women to bring order and organization into the home, it is part of the biblical responsibility that is given to you. Now, let's say that you say of yourself, if you're a woman, or you say of your wife, if you're a man, that my wife, or I, if you're a woman, I'm gonna use it, my wife, Proverbs language, looks well, to the ways of her household, and she does her husband good. Let's say you make that comment in general conversation. How are you going to be viewed for saying that? Well, I, you're going to be viewed as an accused of misogyny for sure. If you say something like, children should obey their parents and husbands should lovingly lead their family since the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, you will undoubtedly be accused of repression and of oppression. And if the conversation goes on long enough, you will be accused of abuse. So what I should do now is I should spend 45 minutes explaining those statements from scripture. 
because otherwise I will be accused of not having explained them, of not having put those things in context, of not having talked more about other things, but I'm not going to do it. All I'm going to say is that the biblical instructions, and we can talk about them more in depth in other places and other times and have, but the biblical instructions include structure in the management of the home. And if you're finding your home to be disorderly, well, check them. Check them. Just run your home against the things that are written there and check it. The third sphere for order or disorder are the systems that are in your home. That's a funny little word, systems, but I like it. It sometimes helps me to think through things in the home. Your home, like a, a church or a school or a business or any sports team that you're a part of, your home is full of systems that interact with one another. Some of those systems consider pretty major things in your life. They are involved in decision-making. There's a way that you process decisions. They're involved in conflict resolution, how you work through a difficult issue. They're involved in the management of your finances and the priorities that exist in your financial life and the things you purchase. They're big systems. But also at work in your home are smaller systems, very miniature things like how do you prepare meals? How do they actually arrive? How do you eat them? How do you take care of laundry? How do you take care of general maintenance around the house? Sometimes people will come to me with problems in their family, and they'll think it's these other things. They'll think it's the idea of the priorities. They'll think it's the idea of the structural things. But in reality, sometimes it's just because there's disorder in your systems, in the small things that go on in your house. Irritation and gear grinding can creep in through poorly defined and poorly maintained systems. So an example that exists in our house, uh, three systems areas. Who takes care of the lawn? Who takes care of the vacuuming? And how do you take care of the dog poop? What do you, what do, you do with those systems? Now, I, I gave you three examples there. They happen to be, and I just decided, you know, and I'm not going to get anybody else in my family involved in this. Those are my systems. Those are my areas. It's my job to schedule those things, each one of them. So there's no confusion that exists in our household if the grass is high. There's no confusion if the, the floors aren't vacuumed. There's something wrong with my system. I'm doing something wrong, and I have to fix something in my system. Here's another example. If you in your household arrive at about 5.30 to 6 o'clock every day and you look at one another and you say, what are we going to do for dinner tonight? You have a systems problem because a system would allow you to think about that in advance of 5.30 or 6 o'clock because frankly it can't be thought about then. There's very little you can do about it at that point. But if you think about it and plan for it in advance, you can adjust the system. A lot of times, disorder takes place in the home, and the disorder causes all sorts of tensions because you haven't worked out small systems in your home and how they interact with one another. Now, if you hear me uh, talking about this and say, uh, Pastor, you're older than you used to be, and those kind of things, the way you just perhaps implied that certain roles belong to a man in the house or certain roles belong to a woman in the house or jobs in the house. If that seems too 1950s to you, 
in another setting, I'll push against that just a little bit. But that's okay. The point is, take a look at your systems. And if you say, hey, we both cook in the house, well, why don't you alternate weeks or something like that so that your system makes sense. So sometimes disorder exists in systems. And then the fourth sphere for order is, uh, and I'm doing a double here, space and time. Moms and dads, if there's never time, if you are habitually late, not occasionally late, if you are habitually late, you have a systems problem. You have an organization problem in your home that needs to be addressed. If your house If your house is a mess, don't just say, we like it this way. Don't just say, it gives it that lived-in look. You've got an organization problem if that is the case. Check the disorder. If your home is a mess, you are not enabling love. You're not enabling production to take place. You're not only allowing yourself to be hospitable to other people because you will stop inviting them over. Okay, I know this is from a different generation, but from this Elizabeth Elliot book, well, this is like three generations back because she's talking about her home growing up. Our home was orderly. The grass was trimmed, the porch swept, wagons, bicycles, and sheds put away in the garage. School books, shoes, papers, or toys did not adorn the front hall or the living room. Towels were hung straight in the bathroom. The crisp linen doilies and dresser covers, which my mother liked, were always clean. A perfect home? Was it? Of course not. It could not have been impeccable at all times, but this is my impression and that of others who remember our home at all. As a child, I took it for granted, but later, when I came home from boarding school, or college. It hit me as soon as I entered the front hall, the freshness, the neatness, the sense of things being placed. This was a visible sign of an invisible reality. Our parents believed in a God of order, creator of a universe arranged in an orderly fashion, each thing in its appointed spot. Now that may be a little bit much, but at least it's a check. It's a way for us to check the order in our home. So the assumptions, the spheres, the labor now of order. Orderliness in the house, in the home, in the household does not come simply through luck or through personality type or through nationality. Though, some of that may play a role. I will admit that. I don't understand it all, but it may play a role. Orderliness in the home comes by work. It comes by labor. It comes by thinking. In Proverbs uh, 24, the sage Solomon writes that he passed by the field of a sluggard a vineyard of a man lacking sense. So he passes by, and he looks at it. And as he looks at this field, as he looks at this home, what he can see is that it's all overgrown. It's got thorns growing where there should be vines. There are thistles coming out of the ground. You don't want to walk in that area. And the wall is broken down. And he stops and thinks, and he considers 
Now, I ask you this question. What did it take to create that field, that home, in that condition? What did it take to make thistles and thorns and a broken down wall? Answer is nothing, right? It doesn't, it doesn't take anything at all. You don't have to do a thing and you will create, create thorns and thistles and eventually your wall will fall down. And Solomon looks at it and says, yep, there are things I can discern just from looking at that house. I can look at that field and see where the problems are and see that frankly it goes deeper than just a broken down wall. There are other things going on. Conversely, what does it take to create the harmony, the order, the productivity of the Proverbs 31 home. It takes work. It takes labor. It takes attention, the opposite of neglect. It takes eyes to see. When the Proverbs 31 woman sees the wall broken down, She sees it. She sees it. That's what Solomon sees it as he goes by. You see, what happens to us a lot of times is our eyes have become blind to disorder. And it looks normal to us. You have to take the time. You have to ask the Lord for the ability to see, Lord, where? And I, and I know we're talking about some physical things right now. Sometimes we're just talking about the physical things because they're small manifestations. Help us to see deeper in what's going on. But eyes to see the disorder and to say, that's not good. There are things at work here that need to be taken care of. What needs to be done? You have to have eyes to see potential. And that's what the Proverbs 31 woman has. She has eyes to see not only what is happening right now, but the potential that exists when I purchase a field, when I plant these vineyards, when I make these things that are going to be ready and be able to be sold. She has eyes to see. She has priority planning that takes place in her life for what clothes will be needed when. That's why she can laugh at the future. She's ready for it. She doesn't fear the snows. She's ready for it. How do you get ready for it? You plan. You're organized. And that's what characterizes her. Note well for the Proverbs 31 woman in particular that her order doesn't make her frenetic and it doesn't make her uptight. It frees her to be able to give to the poor, to be able to speak with words of kindness to people who need a word of kindness. So how do we increase order in the home. I'm going to give you three brief things. First, give yourself a little bit of space and a little bit of time to contemplate the idea of order. It is worth our attention. It is worth a few minutes today, tomorrow, to ask the Lord, what does this mean? What are the spheres in my life in which disorder is creeping in? Remember, as you think about it, that the end of order is not order. 
the end of order is beauty and productivity, the increase of love, of shalom, of production. Is anything standing out to you right now, even as I've been preaching, is there anything standing out to you in which you say, whoa, my life is disorderly in this place or in that. It's in need of attention. It's suffering from neglect. Give yourself a little bit of space. Second, tackle one thing. Rome wasn't ordered in a day. It wasn't organized in a day. A vow to be more orderly will do you absolutely no good. If you have something that you think about as a result of this sermon, as a result of hearing it, it's something major. Maybe you think, man, my time is a mess right now. And because my time is a mess, I don't have any time to spend in prayer. I don't have any time to spend in reading of, of the word. What's going on in my life? Where are the priorities? Why am I so disorderly in my spiritual life? Or if it's more practical, perhaps you go, you know what? Our finances are out of control. Our spending is out of control. I don't know what's coming in and what's going out. Those are big areas. Okay, if you've got big areas to tackle, you get some help and you tackle big areas. I want to give you one piece of advice with the big areas. Choose something small as well. Those are tough ones to get a hold of. You got a chip at them, but you, you, they're tough ones. Choose something small. Choose a drawer, a desk, a closet. Choose one thing that'll help you to see what order looks like, as well as making progress on the big thing that you're working on as well. And then third, maintain it and sustain it. It is more beautiful and enjoyable and easier, I think, to maintain order than it is to let the wall fall down every time look at the wall and go, hmm, those stones got a little bit loose there. Push those in, get those set up, and it is to rebuild the wall every time. Men, what happens when you let the grass grow? I'm sorry, I said men. I'm sorry, I know. <laughs> sorry, ninth, you, you, forgive me of age. People, when you let the grass grow at your house, what happens? the job becomes that much harder. It takes you twice as long, and by the way, it looks ugly while it's long. Maintain it and sustain it. Ordered liberty. Order isn't the end, but it is a sure aid to the growth of wisdom, love, fruitfulness. And it yields for the Proverbs 31 woman generosity, mitigation of her fears and of her worries, laughter at times to come, praise, and thankfulness of a blessed husband and blessed children. Paul writes to the, the Colossians, it's on the front of your bulletin, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we give our lives to you thanking you for who you are, thanking you that you are a God of order, thanking you that you understand all things, you are not confused, you are not a God of confusion, and thanking you for the peace that is promised to us. Lord, we pray 
that in light of who you are, in light of the good news of the gospel, that you would give us courage and that you would give us eyes to see areas in our homes and our lives that have become disorderly and help us to take steps to repent, to come before you, to bring those things before you and to seek to honor you in all of the areas of our lives. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.